prophecy, and it's given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy. To another, the working of miracles, and to another, prophecy. We are at the number six gift of nine that are enumerated in... Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, number 6, which means we have three more to go. Discernment, the gift of languages, and the gift of interpretation of languages. Um, and so now we come to a very sort of classical and structural subject matter that I'm hoping that you will be able to ascertain a, a fuller understanding of it. So you really are going to want to take notes um, to really grasp this. The first thing I want to say about prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is that... It is what is called a preferred and prominent gift in the scriptures. That's point number one in your outline. It is a preferred and prominent gift. And that's because prophecy is really the container for all that God has to say to us. Prophecy is a container. Let me see if I can begin to make this work. When we think about prophecy, we are thinking about the one word that needs to actually come to the top and forefront of your thinking, and that is revelation, revelation. So as you think about prophecy, think about revelation. Don't let it come in and out of your ear. Grasp the term revelation, because when we're thinking about revelation, we're thinking about something being revealed. And what prophecy is, is revelation. And it's important for you to know that. That's why under point number one, we have three subpoints: a revelation from, a revelation in, and a revelation for. A revelation from, a revelation in, and a revelation for. So your outline is already kind of framed for you, the correlative relationship between prophecy and revelation. Please know that whenever we're talking prophecy, we are talking what? Revelation. So when I use the term revelation, I'm not using it as a noun in a kind of descriptive sense. I'm using it as a verb in a functional sense. So I want to hurry up and settle that one because, you know, we have so many uh, scriptural terms that you've heard revelation before. And you can be thinking of revelation in terms of, let's say, a genre of the Bible, like the book of Revelation. It will speak of prophecy, too. We will deal with that tonight. But I'm not talking about revelation in terms of the descriptive sense, but revelation in terms of the functional sense. Revelation is a verb. Prophecy is revelation. Did that make some sense? Extremely important to capture right now. So when we're talking about uh, prophecy is revelation, there are two sets of categories I want you to capture with that. First, the origin of prophecy or revelation, as I have on the board, but it's already in your outline as well. The origin, where does it proceed from? Where does revelation or prophecy proceed from? In your outline, it says what? Heaven. Heaven. Heaven is where all divine revelation comes from. That's in your Bible. So when we talk about prophecy and we're talking about the revelation there of the content, the revelation, we're really talking about God revealing or disclosing to us his will and purpose, purpose in a kind of um, um, rhetorical way, in a verbal propositional way. Revelation is about God speaking to us 
from heaven. That's the first dimension, the first premise, the first grounds of consideration that I want you and I to think about. If God's not speaking, it's not coming from heaven. So prophecy that is not from God is not prophecy from heaven. When we talk about prophecy, prophecy equals what? Revelation. Revelation has its origins where? In heaven. This is really important to get, okay? Because all kind of people prophesy, all kind of entities prophesy, but biblical prophecy, divine prophecy, God's prophecy proceeds from God himself and where God is. God is in heaven. And that, that is his throne, that's his dominion, that's his, his, his place and realm of ontological perfections and stages, as we would say, his stages, his state of being is heavenly. God is heavenly, and his proclamation, his revelation, his prophecy proceeds from that place. I'm driving that home. So one of the first verses I want to anchor that down in, and something you should learn, is Psalm 119, verse 89. Listen to what the psalmist says about God's word in Psalm 119. Lamed is the, um, the Hebrew letter for it. Forever, O Lord, your word is what? Settled in heaven. Situated in heaven. That's the origin. Okay, that's origin. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. When we talk about prophecy or we talk about revelation, we're talking about God's word. So God's word is settled in heaven. God is a God that speaks. He communicates to us. He articulates his will. He articulates his purposes and plans. And that's what prophecy is about. So we want to know that it has its origins in heaven. Heaven. A revelation from heaven is what prophecy is all about. This is how John, uh, John the Baptist put it in John chapter 1, verse 27. This is axiomatic too. You need to know this. A man can receive nothing except to be given to him from heaven. So that becomes axiomatic for the believer. The believer knows this, that we don't get anything from God from which it doesn't proceed from heaven. So heaven opens up and God then begins to communicate to us his will and purpose through many different packages. But the package that we're dealing with now, the container we're dealing with now is called prophecy or as I stated, what? Revelation. I want you to be able to say those things almost just naturally. When we talk prophecy, we're talking revelation. God is revealing himself. Prophecy is the modality by which God reveals himself. Um, let's see, he, why then did I, uh, maybe verse 28, if that's not it, I just want to make sure you guys get it. Um, go back to verse 20, oh, let me see. I, got, I need to go there because I don't want you to miss, that, uh, miss that, that, that principle that John lays out in the gospel of John. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, it's chapter 3, verse 27. John chapter 3, 27. Here it is. This is very important because John got this. John answered and said, a man can do what? Receive nothing except to be given to him from where? Right. So now what makes what John said so relevant is that John was a prophet. Right. So I'm going to get to that in a moment. But what the prophet says is, I, I don't have anything of myself. It doesn't originate in me. If I don't get it from heaven, it's not going to get God. So he's affirming what we're stating, that revelation or prophecy has its origins in heaven. And again, that's axiomatic. For us as people of God, we know that if heaven doesn't speak, there's no speaking being done. 
if we're talking a legitimate classical prophetic declaration of what's taking place in the mind and heart of God, we know it's coming from above. And I love what John says, a man or a woman, a people group cannot receive anything unless heaven opens up and begins to communicate to us. That's under point number one, a revelation from heaven. Another way to see it is in uh, James chapter one, verse 17. These are like just principles I want to lay down before I go into it a little bit more deeply. Right now we're dealing with the origin of things. Every good gift and perfect gift is what? From above. There it is. Well, we already know that prophecy is a gift. So all I'm doing is extrapolating. Prophecy is a gift, and if it is a gift, it's a gift from God. And every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights. I want you to capture that. It doesn't come from the Son. It comes from the Father. Remember, the Father is almost always understood as the originator of everything that flows through the mystery of God to us. Because what I'm about to talk to you about now in a moment is the triune function of prophecy. And it will come to you. But it says every good and every perfect gift is from above and it comes down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He's using now a cosmological metaphor, is he not? Uh, of the father being like a fixed illuminary of which there is no admixture of darkness with it. Does that make some sense? A fixed illuminary. He's the father of what? That's the same as revelation. Revelation is light. You keeping up with me now? Revelation is like, now what he's talking about here in this verse is the qualitative nature of that revelation. It's not obscured by any kind of darkness. It doesn't vary. It's not, it's not malleable. God's revelation is a perfect illumination without any kind of flaws. And it's a flawless revelation. It's an infallible revelation. We would call it an impeccable revelation. When God, God speaks, he speaks purely and without deviation, without fault. That's not true of you and me. And what I love about our world, the way God has created our world, even in our sky as a metaphor, if we're going to use the cosmos as a metaphor, as we look up into the heavens, the heavens are filled with all kinds of debris, is it not? And what that does is it lets us know that the space between us and God is not absolutely pure. Even though you and I look up to God, we don't see God purely. He sees us purely, but we don't see him purely. Right. So when he says forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. What it's saying is God's word is pure because the presence of God is pure and God is a light without any variable of turning. God doesn't change this is why we say God doesn't lie, fail or what? He doesn't change, fail or lie. And all of those are three sides of the same coin. For those of you who don't know, in the Hebrew, the idea of lying is the idea of failing. That's what the Hebrew really means by the word lie. To lie means to come short of the design for which it was created. So if I, if I say I'm going to do something, but I don't, I fall short of doing it, I am lying. I'm also failing, right? And then I'm also changing because I am not doing what I'm saying that I'm supposed to do. Now with God, he doesn't lie, fail, or, or change. He is light, and in him is no what? No darkness at all. So I love this verse in terms of explaining to us the content, the quality of what's coming down from heaven in terms of revelation. You can trust his word. We're about to, to go there. Here's another way to look at it if you have not been 
persuaded as of yet. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. Now I'm getting ready to get into the triune persons around the uh, annunciation of Jesus. This is the way that church history would have put it. But I want you to see all three persons and I want you to comprehend prophecy now in this event. And you tell me, is this not prophecy? And is this not revelation? Here's what it says. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went straightway up out of the water and lo, the heavens did what? That's called revelation. The heavens did open unto him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove. Now, who is the spirit of God? The third person. So the second person is now being engaged with the third person because the first person has sent the third person down, has he not? Now notice what it says, descending from dove and lighting upon or landing upon him. Here it is. Now watch this, verse 17. Notice verse 17. And a voice from heaven. All right, so now we have the prophecy about to be set forth. This is not true. Right, heaven opens up. That's revelation. Prophecy is about to set forth, and that prophecy is going to center in on Jesus. Is it not? Notice what it says. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here's what I'm going to share with you. I want you to capture this. When we talk about revelation, when we talk about prophecy, prophecy is the work of the third person, the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the third person. That's the gift. That's what we're dealing with in 1 Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, right? So the third person, the Holy Spirit, is the one who is directly employing the prophecy. But the prophecy is given by the first person. Did that come home? The father is giving the prophecy to the third person who communicates it to us about the second person of whom the prophecy has its content. The content of prophecy is Jesus. The mechanism by, that prop, by which the prophecy is given to you and me is the third person. The origin of the prophecy is the first person. The father gives us the son through the spirit. Did that come home? So it's a triune work. I want you to make sure you get this because so easily we will collapse all three persons into a non-personal entity when we talk about God and we'll fail to see how they are coordinating a revelation to us in terms of the father as the origin, the spirit as the distributing factor, and the second person as the content. So I'm getting ready to argue that the content of prophecy is centered in Jesus. Would you agree with that? Of course you will. This is what the father just said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is a summation of the whole of your Bible. The father is saying the son is the grounds of my pleasure. If anything is going to please me, it has to be in his son. That makes sense, doesn't it? All right, so it's important for you and I get this. I'm going to show you explicitly in the Bible that this is the case, but I just wanted you to capture that for the moment, a revelation from heaven. The third person is the gift giver of prophecy. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Did that come home? So there's an immediacy on the part of the third person in your life and mine. When we're talking about prophecy, we're talking about a immediate work of the third person, and he's going to be here all through the whole issue of prophecy, the spirit of God. So you, you can't get prophecy about this, uh, apart from the spirit. 
He's the one that's dispensing prophecy. He's taking the things of God and showing them to us. Isn't that John 16, 13 or 16, 8? When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will take the things of mine and show them to you. So I'm grounding you guys in the order salutis of prophecy. The third person renders the prophecy. The first person gives it. And the second person is the one of whom the prophecy is about. That comes home, right? And I, 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 did we get a chance, um, Jashana, to pull up 2 Timothy 3.16? Did you guys see it? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. If you can't pull that back up, I just want them to get it. This here is a principle around scripture because I'm getting ready to talk about something else here as well. All scripture, that means the words of God are given by what? Inspiration. That is theonusto, it's the outbreathing, it's the spirit of God by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. That's content. That's content of the prophecy. It's extremely important to get. So now I want to move into this a little bit more fully. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what Peter's going to say, and I want us to drill down into this as well as we think about the character and nature of prophecy. Here's what Peter says. He says, knowing this first, this is a primary insight that we have to have. This is, this is the idea of a comprehension of priority. Know this first, protos. Okay, gnosis, protos, that no prophecy, and literally that phrasing there, no prophecy, uh, is, is sort of a, a grammar um, concession, really is saying all prophecy, literally. Pasa in the Greek is all, just for people who are learning a little bit more gra about grammar, don't worry about it. The, the, the way that the English is interpreting it, what, what it's saying is anywhere that you find biblical prophecy, here's what you need to know about it. All prophecy of the scripture is never a private interpretation. Now, I have to explain that to you because this is really difficult, but it's important to get and it's going to come home in a moment. The first thing we would say is it's not a private interpretation because it has its origins where? All right, that's very good. So now what we're getting ready to deal with is what we call instrumentality, the instrumental means of the prophecy, because the instrumental means of the prophecy is how it comes down to men, how the prophecy comes down to men. So we're getting ready to deal with the instrumentality. So now we have a, a, um, a conditional clause around the instrumentality. And what it's saying is the prophecy is not the function of men's own imagination or their own thoughts or their own ideas. Did that make some sense? The prophecy is not the consequence of men waking up one day and saying, you know, I believe this is what God is saying. The prophecy is not the consequence of men having dreams and waking up and then just sort of uh, cajoling or putting together ideas. The origin of prophecy is from God, is from God, and it's from God, but it's two men. It's two men. It's two men, and it's two men without men doing anything to make it happen. Men don't make prophecy, and men don't develop prophecy, and men don't frame prophecy. It is not of human origin in that sense. Now, the term private interpretation needs to be better understood. So I'm going to start with the word private. It is not private, that is to say prophecy, is not personal, or let's say personally owned. 
Prophecy is not personally owned by Moses or Joshua or Elijah or Elisha, so forth and so on. Prophecy is not theirs. It is not the construct of their thinking and their imagination and their ideas. No, instrumentally, the men that will be the ones conveying the prophecy are simply vehicles by which the prophecy comes in and the prophecy goes out. Did that make some sense? There are vehicles in which it goes in and it goes out. So there is no private. We don't go to Moses to ask him about what God said as if Moses knows. Moses is simply going to be a voice speaking. The other word that we need to understand, and I think I'll take more time on uh, Friday uh, to unpack it, is the word interpretation. Interpretation. Scripture is not of any private interpretation, or the word interpretation can mean understanding. Understanding. When we interpret the scriptures, we are seeking to understand the scriptures. Another way to talk about interpretation is the idea of explaining scripture. Explaining scripture, to explain it. So it's not a private interpretation or private uh, understanding our, our private explanation because the word is not really interpretation. The word really is release or loose or um, to, let's say, to, to dispatch. The idea here of the word inter interpretation can be understood this way, to be the scriptures are not personally released. I want you to use that term for the moment. Personally released, uh, personally loosed. Here's another way to use it that will make sense in a moment. The, the, the prophecy of scripture is not personally released, personally loosed, or um, personally let go. Personally let go. Because literally the term in our Greek grammar here, epilepsis, does not mean to interpret, it means to release. It means to release. I'm going to help you with that for a moment, if you don't mind. So let me see if I can frame it first. No, no prophecy of the scripture is of human interpretation or human release. Like humans don't give the revelation. They don't give the illumination. And in fact, in theology, we would actually call the category that we're dealing with here, and I'll talk about that a little bit, we would call this category the category of illumination. So the origin of prophecy is that of revelation. I already said that, right? Revelation. God is revealing himself. The instrumental mechanism by which the prophets speak and it's written down is called illumination. And that's really important, really, illumination. They have had the scriptures illuminated to them. The scriptures are being illuminated to them. The lights are being cut on, and so they're actually hearing what God has to say, the prophets. When you and I read God's word and, and, and we see what it says, the scriptures are being illuminated to us. Now we're hearing what God says. It doesn't necessarily mean we understand it. It just means we have heard it. It has been exposed to us at an illuminary level. But first it had to be loosed. 
Did that make some sense? It first had to be loose. So I want to talk about this term loose for a minute so that it will it will come home to you. For you and I, this idea of loosing, loosing. I love this because it is really true. This is why John said in John chapter 3, 27, no man can receive anything except to be loosed from heaven and released from heaven and discharged from heaven. That makes sense, right? So now watch how the Bible will use this term loose. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 and 19 is what Jesus said to the disciples and to you and me. I'm going to give you three or four or five verses around this and we'll build on this. I say unto you, Peter, that you are, I say unto you that thou art Peter and upon this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now this is because Peter answered the question, right? Who do men say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Now watch what Jesus says here in verse 19. Here's what he says. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of what? So the metaphor is having access to something so that opens up. A key is for a door to open. Revelation is the opening of a door, is it not? Heaven being opened so that whatever the contents of heaven are, are made available to us. So prophecy is revelation. When that door opened, the prophecy is loosed. The prophecy is released. Did that come home? So now listen to how Jesus gives it to Peter, because this is going to be really the truth. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and whatsoever you shall what? Bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you shall what? Release. That's our word for uh, interpretation. The prophecy of scripture is never by any man's capacity on his own to release it. God has to release the prophecy. It has to be released. Does that make some sense? All right, I'm going to keep building on this so that you can know this. And of course, you can go back in your own time and search it through. When we were talking about releasing here, we're talking about something being released from heaven or loosed from heaven. Are we not? And notice what Christ does. Christ tells Peter that Peter is going to have a key. A key is authority. He's going to have the ability to actually open up heaven and loose heaven's authority on earth. That's what he's saying. And now all you and I need to do is understand that on a functional level. This is an instrumental statement, but we need to understand that on a functional level. What do you mean that Peter will have a key? Is it a literal key? No. It's a symbolic key of authority to actually correspond with heaven because he will be the instrument by which the loosening of prophecy will be released through him to other people. That makes sense, right? All right, very much so. So I want to run through this, this idea of loosing a few more times and then I'll see if I can tie it together. So in chapter 18, I love this, Matthew 18, verse 18, Jesus, the Lord Jesus addresses this loosing again. He says in Matthew, uh, verse eight, uh, Matthew 18, 18, Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall having already been bound where? In heaven. And, and, and again, for time's sake, it's really hard to contextualize this. This here is about people who have the right and privilege to correspond with heaven around events that take place on the earth where heaven is walking in agreement with them and they're walking in agreement with heaven to either bind things or loose things. Did that come home? So I want you to get this. I know this can be hard to grasp. The instrument here is a person 
who has the privilege of engaging in binding something or loosening something. Okay, binding and loosing is a principle of the kingdom of God, either forbidding someone to come into the kingdom or allowing someone to come into the kingdom. Okay, that's the whole idea. Heaven opening up, the blessings coming down. Here in this context, the disciples will have the privilege of determining whether men and women are actually saved or not. If you bind a thing, you inhibit it. You restrain it. You are now confining it. If you loose a thing, you set it free. When God opens the heaven and allows his word to come down, he looses his word. He sets his word free. Prophecy is the setting free of God's word, okay? That is really the way that I want you to get it. Now, we're not talking prophecy here, but we're talking about the authority of God's word to do something in the realm of human beings. But it amounts to the same thing because for a thing to be bound or loosed, a word has to be declared for that to happen. For a thing to be bound or loosed, a word has to be declared for that to happen. The operative word loopsies is the word loosed. I told you it means to release. It's the idea of letting go. It's the idea of dissolving or annulling an authority over someone. And, and obviously this is something that we see uh, in the scriptures, even in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, let's try um, John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 44. This here is where Lazarus is dead, and Lazarus is in the tomb. And his sister has already complained that Lazarus is stinking. And Jesus now is going to occupy the instrumental means of declaring a word. And the object of that word is going to be Lazarus. Lazarus is bound by the covenant of death. Lazarus will not be liberated from that covenant of death unless there's a power given to lose him. Did that make some sense? So Jesus has already told the disciples they're going to be able to have this authority. Didn't we just learn that? So he's going to model it for us. Lazarus is in the tomb. What does the Bible say? Jesus says that they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes to where? Remember, you can receive nothing except to be given to you from where? So he's speaking to the father because the father is the one who is the origin of this loosening, this authority, this release, this, this, um, this annulling of what's happening in the earth. And in the earth right now, there is a contractual agreement with sin Wherever sin is, death will result. That's a contractual agreement. The wages of sin is what? Well, to, the only way you can reverse that is for that decree to be disannulled. It has to be loosed. It has to be released. There has to be an authority that overcomes the contractual authority of sin and death to liberate someone from its control, from its captivity. I'm making some sense, right? So here Jesus is about to speak a word, and that word is going to lose his friend Lazarus, is it not? Here it is. And so notice what he says. Father, I thank thee that you always what? Hear me. He's speaking to heaven. He's speaking to the Father. And I knew that you hear me always because... But because of the people that stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you have sent me. Verse 44. 
And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, right? Go back to, uh, let me see here. Yeah, here it is. Notice what it says. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot in grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto him, what? Lose him and let him go. This is a great illustration of what I mean by the idea of a release from heaven. So it is with prophecy. Prophecy has to be released from heaven. That's the idea of the keys of the kingdom of God being given to the man or the person that's called to prophesy, to declare. Heaven has to be opened up. Authority has to be given in a proclamatory form. We're going to see that in our outline. And something is released. This is exactly what Jesus does in his ministry. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I want, to, I want you to just capture this in your mind because I want to make sure you and I understand Peter's explanation. We're going to be going back there in a moment. Notice what it says about Jesus' ministry. I want you to capture it. Tell me where the word is. You'll see it. It's in here. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's the what? Third person. And who is the person speaking? The second person right? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. That's really, you're going to see prophecy. Okay. That's, that's what prophecy is. Preach the gospel to the poor. He had sent me to heal the brokenhearted. We've talked about healing. Have we not? Notice what he said to preach deliverance to the captive and the recovering of sight to the blind and to do what? Set at liberty. What is that word? To loose. To liberate, that's our idea. That's the same idea of the prophecy of Scripture is not loosed by anyone's own intention, own willfulness. God has to loose it. He has to set the prophecy at liberty, at liberty to those that are bound. And so Jesus' ministry is a ministry of liberation. But that liberation starts with a word of liberation. And the word of liberation is really prophecy. So that's the idea that I, I wanted you to get. We saw Jesus loose Lazarus. We see that that is the nature of his ministry. This idea of release uh, cannot be avoided. It's the inference of something being set free, whether it's the word being set free or a person being set free. Here's a good example of it as well. Remember Jesus said to um, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys. Whatever you bind will be what? Bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. Well, in Revelation, it talks about loosing and binding quite a bit, too. And in the close of Revelation chapter 20, notice what it says in verse 3. This is what it says in verse 3. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 3. Uh, and I need to go back to verse 2 for the context because people won't get it. We're talking about the dragon. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is called the devil. Let's go back to verse 1 so people can know who is the subject engaging in this act. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key. You see the authority thing? I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. That angel is the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the angel of the Lord that comes down. You'll hear this on Sunday. He's the only one that has the ability to bind Satan. No other angel has that ability. Do you understand that? Notice what it says. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. The metaphor here is that he's coming to bind something, isn't he? That's what the chain is about. That's exactly the authority by proxy that Christ is giving to the apostles. 
As you go forth doing ministry in the kingdom, your preaching and proclamation will bind and it will also what? Loose. It's important for you to know. Now notice what he says in verse 2. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and did what? Bound him a thousand years. So the word of God has the capacity to bind and the word of God has the capacity to what? Loose. All right, so when things are bound, they're bound to be controlled, to be limited, to be hindered, and to be stopped. And when they are loose, they're loose to be liberated and set free. And so we have a picture here of what God does in his kingdom work of stopping the enemy from running rampant in the world and, and hindering God's purpose on the one hand. And on the other hand, we see pictures of how the gospel sets people free. Lazarus was set free, was he not? The woman with the issue of blood, she was set free. The woman that was bound for so many years, bent over in the captivity of Satan, she was loose. So Jesus is actually engaging in that ministry of setting the captives free. That's the idea. And the word of God is going to always be involved in that process. In fact, if I am persuading you a little bit, you and I must know that you and I are objects of liberation as well. God liberated every one of us. So the word that came down from heaven... It was loosed by the Father, given to the prophets, proclaimed to the world. That word looses us, does it not? It liberates us. So I want to show you the correlation between the word personified in Jesus and then that word echoed in us. Because if you and I believe that we have been liberated by the word of God in the preaching of the gospel, you must know that if you and I have been liberated from that very bondage and death that Lazarus was in, because we were spiritually dead, were we not? And did not God liberate us from our spiritual death? Well, if he liberated you from your spiritual death by decree and proclamation, it's because he delivered Jesus first. In other words, Jesus had to be bound first. And was he not bound? And did he not die? And did he not go into the grave? And did not the grave have to let him go? And when Jesus was released, Acts 2, 24, his release secured our release. Am I making some sense? Somebody's happy about it because you're understanding now not only the origin of prophecy, but the content of prophecy and also the function of prophecy. Am I making some sense? Look at Acts chapter, uh, before you go to Acts chapter uh, uh, 224 for me to persuade us further would you go to verse 7 so here in revelation 20 as we deal with what is called the millennial paradigm satan is bound he's limited but now in verse 7 notice what it says and when the thousand years are expired satan shall be what that's our word epilepsies it means to be released he will be released. And once he's released, he's back in the earth realm, creating all kinds of havoc, deceiving men, controlling men, killing men, raising up men to be hostile to the gospel. Does that make some sense? So, I mean, you can ask God if you want to. Don't ask me. You can ask God to, if you want to. Now, you bound him. Why you let him go? Okay. There's a lot of lessons to be learned about that. But the point is, is he already told Peter that I'm giving you the keys authority to bind and authority to loose. Is that true? And that would be through the mechanism or the instrumentality of preaching. You guys agree with that? Now I can look at you and I know most of you guys have been with me long enough to know I can just walk you through this. Peter opened the door 
to the kingdom in Acts chapter 2. When he stood up and explained the gift that we're going to be dealing with in a week and a half from now called the gift of languages. Everybody was drawn to those 120 in the open room and Peter stood up and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse uh, 28. This will actually tie on in. Acts 2.17, rather. Acts 2.17. Peter is the one that's going to open up the kingdom now to men and women to come into the kingdom because he's going to prophesy what Joel had said concerning what would happen when the Spirit of God would be poured out. Listen to what Peter says. And it shall come to pass in the last day, said God, I will pour out of my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall do what? That's the gift, isn't it? Now notice the gift is coming through the mechanism of the Spirit of God. I told you the Spirit of God is giving the gift. The gift is given by the Father through the Spirit. But what is the gift about? It's about the Son. It's about the Son. So there's a triune collaboration going on here where we are the objects of prophecy coming and illuminating us to what God is doing. So the loosening of prophecy comes by the third person. And one of the evidences that you and I have received the prophecy is that we will also prophesy. You receive the prophecy and you will prophesy. It will be loose to us in the proclamation of the gospel. It will persuade us that we're children of the living God. And we will turn and do the same thing that Jesus did. Remember what he said in John 20? As the Father has sent me, what? So send I you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. What I'm getting at to help you really comprehend this is the issue of prophecy is the issue of loosening revelation so that men and women can know and experience what God's will is. And that prophetic ministry is something that is gifted to you and I to echo and model Jesus, echo and model the prophets, echo and model the apostles. And that's the word right here. Notice what it says. Your sons and your what? Daughters. They shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Verse 18. Look at verse 18. Here it is. And on my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out my spirit in the days, in, in those days, and they shall, here it is, prophesy. All right, so it's important for you and I to know heavens open up. No man can receive anything except to be given from heaven. The revelation is loosed. It's not controlled by men. It's not interpreted by men. It's not framed by men. It's a work of the spirit of God. And all men do is receive it and then deliver it. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, because I wanna, I wanna, I'm not going to go anywhere else but nurture this idea of the reception of the loosening, the, the prophetic uh, origin, and then its application or residence in our life, and then our simply, once again, echoing what has happened to us. I want to drive that home before we um, go into the next part. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any personal unloosing. We don't loosen it to people. Verse 21, here's the exegetical or explanation of verse 20. For the prophecy, notice how Peter is calling scripture prophecy. You got that? Because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I just shared that in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scriptures given by what? Inspiration of God, right? Breathed out. 
for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This is my argument. That men didn't just rise up in the morning, got notebooks and pencils and papers, and just started writing out of their own mind. They were taken up and seized by an event by which God communicated to them in the loosening of heaven, opening up of heaven, and pouring into them his revelation, his prophecy, and they in turn share that prophecy. I want to show you that, but I just want you to see there. Notice what it says. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men, men that were set apart of God, spake. You see the word spake? That is going to be the, the next category on the functional level. So the men who have received God's word receive it by illumination. And what they have received by illumination, the illumination of the heart, is the revelation of God. And the functional aspect of it is going to be communication. They are going to communicate what was revealed to them from heaven. Communication has to do with preaching and proclamation. We know that. So you've noticed the subtlety of the two words, prophecy and prophesy, right? Prophecy is the content. Prophesy is the function. When you prophesy, you are functioning to release the content. That makes sense, right? Prophecy is the content. Prophesying is the function or the modality. And you have that in your outline under, uh, really should be point number two, the modes of what? prophecy. Do you see that in your outline? I'm not going there right now. I want to stay with you and kind of drive the metaphor home of the passive submission of the persons who receive the revelation by which the prophecy now is in them. So this here is going to be the model that I want to share. This is Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. This is going to be sub point B in your outline. A revelation in the heart of the servant. Revelation chapter 10 verses 9 through 11. We've got a few more minutes and you'll get this. This is John who was instructed by God to go to the angel who had a book in his hand. The angel had a book in his hand. Now listen to what it says. And I went to the angel and I said to him, give me the little book. And he said unto me, what? Take it. Now, he's got a book in his hand, right? Now, what is John supposed to do with this book? Eat it. Now we're talking about the content of the revelation, which has come down from the angel to John. He's first received it. Has he received it? Is he now not modeling what John the Baptist said? No man can receive anything except to be given to him from heaven. Y'all see that, right? I just want you to see. So John is receiving something from heaven and it's come in the form of a what? A book. That's called prophecy. Guess what he's about to do? Imbibe that prophecy. Eat it up. Now notice what it says. And it shall make your belly bitter, but it shall be in your mouth what? Sweet as honey. So this here is the paradoxical nature of the word of God. It's sweet and bitter at the same time. Does that make some sense? And so that can be talked about at length. And really what it means is the necessity of the people of God to submit to the revelation that gives you joy because of his contents, but it will also cause you pain because of your having to share it. Did that make some sense? It gives you joy because of his content, but because now you have become a purveyor of that content, that's the instrumentality, it's going to bring bitterness in your life because not everybody is going to receive that content the way you did. Okay? Now notice what he says after this in verse 11. Revelation 10, 11. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand. I'm sorry. 
And he said unto me, you must prophesy again before many people. So now he's taking the book, he's eating the book, and the book now allows him to do what? Prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Well, John is a prophet, is he not? Does anybody know the book that John was given, that little book? Are you ready? It's the apocalypse. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21. Y'all got that? That little book that John was given in a vision is the apocalypse. That makes sense now, doesn't it? Right, because what we're dealing with is an apocalyptic imagery describing how it is that John received these words on the Isle of Patmos that speaks to the sovereign reign of Christ over all humanity. He received it as an angel, giving it to him for him to imbibe in his being, right? Word in, word out. This was a special divine event that John was a part of because he's called to be a prophet. Verse 12. Uh, I don't know. Is, that, is there another verse? I don't think so. Anyhow, what is John doing here? He's echoing the prophet Ezekiel, is he not? He's echoing Ezekiel. And you need to see that as well before we go. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Ezekiel 2, 1 through 3. Is Ezekiel a prophet? Is Jeremiah a prophet? Right. Now notice what it says. And God said unto me, son of man, stand upon your feet and I will speak to you. Speaking to us is revelation. Is that what we said? So heaven is getting ready to speak, right? That's revelation. So now Ezekiel is not waking up with a whole bunch of ideas in his head and he's going to write them down on a, on a piece of paper. No, Ezekiel is waking up out of a dead sleep and he's about to have a subject object relationship with the God of heaven. Heaven will do nothing for Ezekiel unless heaven opens up itself and pours into Ezekiel revelation, prophetic content. You agree with me? Notice what he says. I will speak unto you. Verse two. And the spirit entered into me. Who is that? The third person. Right. So the first person has now sent the third person to speak to Ezekiel, the instrumental means. And he's going to ultimately speak about the second person. Why? Because the whole Bible is about Jesus. But it's going to be in the context of a prophetic revelation to the Jewish people. Now, notice what it says. I'll tie that last point down before we go. And the spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. How does faith come? Right. So the content of epilepsies, the releasing of revelation comes to us by way of spiritual hearing. And spiritual hearing is a heart matter. That's why the Holy Ghost is inside of him. Ezekiel is not hearing something merely outside of him. He's hearing something inside of him. You have to have an inner ear to hear God. Do you not? It has to be an ear of faith. It has to be an inner ear. Uh, uh, you know, you'll meet all kinds of people that would love to hear the voice of God in the heavens. You love, Lord, just talk to me from heaven. You know, just open up the heavens and talk to me. You'll notice all through your Bible, anytime that God talks to people from heaven, they never do what he says. Can I make that point? That's because until the word enters into our heart, it will never move us to obedience. As the psalmist said, it's the entrance of thy word that gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? A man has to believe in his heart and declare with his mouth the works of God. That's the whole point. 
So the prophet has had to have an invasion of God's word in his being that is equivalent to taking God's word and eating it. And this is what he's saying to Ezekiel. Notice what he says in verse 3. I think you guys are getting it now. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They, their fathers, have transgressed against me even to this very day. That's, that's, that's a, uh, the Lord is honest about his children, is he? Verse 4. Ezekiel 2 verse 4, for they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send you unto them and you shall say unto them what? Thus saith the Lord God. See, he doesn't get to say what he want to say. He's just a instrument, a conveyor of a content, a prophecy that's given to him from heaven. As Bodhi would say, I'm just a mailman. I'm just delivering the mail. That's all I'm doing. I, I didn't write the letter. I'm just delivering the mail, okay? And, and that really is the way it should be. I want, to, I want this to come home. Verse 5. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious people, yet you shall know that there hath been, they shall know that there has been a what? Among them. What is a prophet? He's the one that received the revelation by illumination of the heart, and then he dispatches that revelation by communication or prophesying. That's what he's called to do. Now let me persuade you once more of the content of the prophecy so that you and I can kind of wrap this up and we'll come back later. Revelation chapter 19 verse 10. I want you to get the content because this one too is hard for people. I want you to get the content. Revelation 19 10 says this and John the apostle who received that little book and this is the book the content of the book he's talking about. He says I fell at his feet to worship him because he saw the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's seeing. No, no. He saw the angel of the Lord here. That's what he see. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said, see to it that you do not do that. There's another subtle Greek grammar in there. And it's fundamentally, no, don't do it. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the what? Testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the content of scripture. You got that? The content of scripture is the testimony of Jesus. And notice what it says. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of what? Right. So the content of scripture is about Jesus across the history of humanity. And when we have the spirit of prophecy, it's going to sum up all of the testimony in terms of the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why you and I can read the Old Testament. I can unpack the Old Testament. And I can show you Jesus in it. Because Jesus said himself in, John, in, in Psalm 40, verse 7, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to me to do thy will, O God. You guys got that? So even though we're reading about the origins of creation, even though we're reading about the fall of Adam and Eve, even though we're reading about the nations rising up in the days of Noah, or the flood of Noah, or the call of Abraham, or the call of Isaac and Jacob, or the call of the 12 tribes, it's really a linear revelation of the seed that God promised all the way Back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, your seed shall crush his head. His seed will bruise your heel, right? This is the revelation of scripture. And this is what the apocalypse is talking about, the spirit of prophecy. And the way John closes out the apocalypse, which is another word for what? Revelation, apocalypses, loopsies is our word, to remove the veil so a thing can be seen. Remove the veil so a thing can be seen. Apoco, apocalypses, apple, remove, colupsis, colupsis, 
Remove the veil so a thing can be seen. And when you and I read the apocalypse, we see the sovereign Lord on his throne governing the world. Without looking at the last book in your Bible, you cannot know certainly who's in control of the world. When you read the last book of your Bible carefully, we know Jesus is in control. Okay, that's, that's what you know when you read it, read it broadly and carefully. So in the closing verses of the book of the Apocalypse, and we're going to come back here later, we read in uh, Revelation chapter 19. You can start in Revelation chapter 19, let's say at verse, at verse 7. Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 22. You can read that Revelation chapter 22 I'm trying to nail this down. Revelation 22, 7. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this what? There it is. So there's a blessing when we keep that last book because that last book is the capstone for all of the books of the Bible. You got Genesis. You got Exodus. You got Leviticus. You got Numbers. You got Deuteronomy. You got Joshua. Then you got the book of Judges. Then you got 1st and 2nd Samuel. Then you got 1st Kings, 2nd Kings. You got 1st Chronicles, 2nd Chronicles. Then you have uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel. Then you have the minor prophets, Hosea, Nahum, uh, Joel, and so forth. And then you have the last prophet, Malachi, right? That's 29 books of the Old Testament. Is that true? And then how many books in the New Testament? Starting with Matthew, and Matthew opens up the book by saying, uh, uh, 29 or 30, right. So Matthew opens the book and saying, the generations of Jesus the Christ. So when, when, when your New Testament opens up, it is automatically inferring that everything is leading to this one person, and that person is Jesus. So when we read our New Testament, we're reading our New Testament in light of what the Old Testament said. Lo, I am coming in the volume of the book. And so this is how we tie prophecy together. It's called the continuity of prophecy. The continuity of prophecy is summed up in the person and work of Jesus. This actually is what it means to be a Christian. When you are a Christian, what you understand is all prophecy is summed up in Jesus. And this is just not a theological uh, formulation. This is what Jesus said. This is John chapter 5, verse 39. I want to end it right here, and then we're going to pick it back up later. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think they have, you have eternal life. But they are they which what? Testify of me. So the goal of the Christian, anywhere in the Bible, which you have that statement, search the scriptures, right? Now that's an indicative, it's not an imperative. What is an indicative? An indicative is what you are already doing. You are searching the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. But you cannot be sure you have eternal life until you understand that the scriptures are testifying to Christ. Did that make some sense? That's what we're dealing with. So the Father is the origin of the prophecy. The Spirit is the communicator of the prophecy. And Jesus is the content of the prophecy. All right, so we're going to pick this up again on Friday and go deeper.